Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Saturdays with Jenny on Kaya FM 95.9. So I am standing on the viewing platform, which is actually quite high, and I'm looking directly down on the famous farmhouse that is Lily's Leaf Farm. And this, of course, is where, well, Nicholas Wolpe, the CEO of Lily's Leaf Farm, is standing next to me. How many people were here? It was Nelson Mandela wasn't here, but I can see his, I can see his room where he pretended to be a gardener and where he slept. But everything is overgrown. What on earth has happened at Lily's Leaf? Um, Jenny, thank you for giving me this opportunity. We have been hit by COVID, but it's been a double whammy for Lily's Leaf. The first is that we were forced to close because of the worldwide lockdown and the fact that international tourists weren't travelling and then of course South African tourists were not travelling. So what income we were generating... um, Dissipated, It fell off the cliff to zero. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing, Lily's Leaf has, since around 2010-11, has struggled to raise operational funding. So it has always been living from hand to mouth. Mm. Um, its existence has always been one of a very precarious existence. But we found that you know, there were good Samaritans out there. There were people and institutions willing to provide operational funding. That, however, changed around 2015, where it became more increasingly difficult to secure operational funding from corporate South Africa. I think for a number of reasons. One was the stricter kind of requirements in order to secure their BE requirements. And they've, you know, the ICT charter and the BE charter were very specific around what they could fund. For example, when it came to education, historical sites were not deemed to be educational. They didn't fit into the criteria. So there was a very clearly defined set of rules and criteria which historical sites, particularly independent historical sites, fell out of. Secondly, within South Africa, I believe there is a systematic, how shall I say, pushing of history to the periphery where there is really little interest that it doesn't form part of the overall kind of like agenda in terms of what corporate South Africa and South Africa in general are trying to achieve and I think part of that problem emanates from the fact that we haven't given history the due respect and importance and the centrality that it deserves and I always use Cuba as a prime example. When I was in Cuba in 2012, every morning felt like Groundhog Day. I felt like every morning (laughs) I was waking up to the the day after the revolution. It was so prevalent. It was so in your face. It was there. You lived it. You breathed it. You slept it. And educationally, if you wanted to go to university, it didn't matter whether you wanted to be a rocket scientist, a brain surgeon, an astronaut, whatever. History was a prerequisite to get in. If you did not study history, you would not granted access to university. And I think that's one of the things we have failed. And therefore, history is not seen as something that contributes to our society. It's not seen as something that will make a difference. And the reality is, history is so important in terms of developing that social cohesion, that unity, that sense of purpose, that sense of belonging. So that's been the other problem, that history is really marginalized. And if you look at the fact that they've now merged the Department of Art 
arts and culture with the Department of Sport. It yes. highlights further the relegation or the lack of importance that is shown to culture and arts and history in this country. And also, if you think about it, the reality is there is history is not mentioned in the title of the department. It's not called Department of Sports, Arts, Culture and Heritage. Heritage has never p- appeared. It has always been in the background. So you're saying there's an overwhelming sense of indifference, even though we do know that this is where the Ravonia trial, it, this is the roots of the Ravonia trial, is it not? Uh, there was that um, incredible day where the security forces swooped um, on everybody and they were all sitting inside or wandering around outside. Um, but they were all there, with the exception of Nelson Mandela, who was not there. Uh, but his room that uh, that visitors can go and have a look at where he stayed as a as a gardener. Um, but, I mean, this, this house is history. Um, it really is history. You're saying people don't care, schools don't come. Um, what is there for schools to see here? Well, there was, before it was in the mm. state that it was currently in, mm. there was a hell of a lot. I mean, we, when we did, <coughs> excuse me, when we did our educational outreach program, we actually interviewed the children, not the whole group, but selected individuals or selected pupils. And one of the interesting things they said was how much they've learned, how much they've now gained an understanding of our struggle, how much they now appreciate the importance of the struggle, what it meant, what it symbolized. And it gave them an insight which they felt they hadn't been getting at school. It opened their eyes. So I think what Lily's Leaf achieved was it created an opportunity for people to come and understand the essence and meaning of our struggle, to associate, to become emotionally connected with the individuals because it's the individual voices that you're hearing. It is not someone acting. There are occasionally voices who act, but a lot of the voices you hear are the voices of those individuals. And Lily Seif has a unique feel about it. When you walk in, you feel that you're walking into a hollow space, something that is meaningful, mm. something that is significant. And what Lily's Leaf provided was an understanding about what our struggle was about, what it, what we struggled for, what we tried to achieve. And that we were losing anyway. And now with the closure of Lily's Leaf, we're going to lose it even more because people are not aware of the essence and the meaning of our struggle. It is, you know, I, I always use that um, wonderful fable story about the apple not falling far from the tree. In this mm. case, it didn't fall. It was blown away in a gust of wind. So so while we're standing here, I stood here with John Carney and, and John in his ringing voice was talking about history and uh, about its importance and about, he called it hallowed ground. And uh, I mean, he was on my left hand side as we stand here. And it was very, very moving. It really was. So as we're here, and I'm going to take a, a picture which we can put up on um, Kaya FM um, on our right is the farmhouse, it is so famous you sort of, I can remember my first sight when I first saw it, I just gasped because actually it was real you know, it was, the poplar trees have gone when you look at the old photographs yes. um, much has gone but much has remained, now that that room facing us that is Nelson Mandela's room is it not, the one with the tank on top no, no it's it's the next uh, it, the next one. It's that if you look straight ahead of you, 
you've got the door to your right, the window to its left is Mandela's room. Okay, yeah. so that's, and then what was, what was this, this room here? This one here. This yes. The, actually, that was the garage. Okay. Yeah. All right, so that was the garage. And if we went to, where, where did Nelson Mandela hide um, his notes and things like that? In the coal shed? In the coal shed, which is at the back of the um, main house. And of course, Nelson Mandela's gun has never been discovered, but you think you know why? Yeah, as I mentioned to you earlier, I think when we first discovered, found out that Nelson had buried his gun and we had bought the property where he had indicated that he had buried it, we dug up the garden area. Yes. And only about 10 years later did I realize that we had not dug deep enough, that what I'd actually done was dug down to the original level. I'd, I'd failed to take into consideration that the land had been raised. Yes. And that the actual level of the land was actually the um, where the next door house is that's the level so it had actually landfill had moved the land up about one and a half meters so you've got to go down three meters something like that just over three so we've scanned you know we've had professionals we've had the british army's gentlemen from the british army come in here with the proper equipment we mapped out the area there by the the space between the garage the uh, resource center in the main house we found nothing we we looked in virtually every area that we thought it could be possibly buried the only area we didn't look in <coughs> was the car park and we are now more than ever convinced if it is on site and it still is here then it would be we believe located in the car park let's just go from nelson mandela's uh, room uh, let's just keep on going left where is that wonderful vehicle uh, that was used during the struggle and uh, it it had false bottoms and guns were smuggled into south africa um, underneath the um, the level of, of the vehicle An extraordinary vehicle it has a gun yeah, so it's actually in that corrugated iron building okay we turned that, that is actually a little mk exhibit so the african hinterland safari truck is parked in there and people can still go in you know we've got and they can hear the some of the stories being told by some of the individuals who actually were on the vehicle and i must tell you a wonderful anecdote i met an american and we started talking and he said he would like to come to Lily's Leaf to do a history educational program. He came, I was standing by the main gate and he walked down and he looked pale white. And I really thought that he had seen a ghost. I mean, and in a kind of stuttering voice, he said, what is that truck doing there? And I said what it is, and he said, you're not going to believe it, but I was a tourist on it. Oh, my word. He said, and then he <laughs> sent me pictures of him and his ex-girlfriend in the early 90s on that very African hill. And no idea of what lay underneath the he, floor. He said the first thing he said when he gets back to America is he's going to phone his ex-girlfriend and say, you're not going to believe it, but we <laughs> were sitting on ammunition doing this wonder safari through Africa. Literally, he was completely and utterly stunned, shocked and bewildered when he saw it. And the the thatch roof place as well, uh, that has that's got some meaning as well. Yes, so that was as as Ahmed Kafadra described it, it was where they lived. It's at one point had five people staying there because Lily's Leap was not just the headquarters of um, the Communist Party or Kuntuasi's way, the ANC and the Congress Alliance. It also became a place where people who were 
effectively banned and on the run would hide out here and stay here. But it was also their meeting place. On the day of the raid, that's where the majority of... It was there. They were arrested in that room. So in there was Rusty Bernstein, Raymond Mishlaba, Walter Sisulu, <laughs> Govan and Becky, Ahmed Kathadra. So five of them. Yes. The sixth was Dennis Goldberg, who was sitting in the main house, reading a book, Brighter Than a Thousand Suns, the first story about the atom bomb. So he wasn't part of the meeting, but he was there. So you, at the beginning, you made reference to how many people were arrested here. There were 21 people in total. That was including the farm laborers, children, the gold reichs. So in total, 21 people were arrested on the day of the raid. So the ordinary workers on the farm, they must have known that it was Nelson Mandela. No. In fact, you know, what, you know, again, this is, another, this is why, again, Lily's Leaf is so important. Because one of the things that we have focused on and try to uh, ensure that we do is get the voice of the unsung hero. Because there are many people out there who have a story to tell who have been ignored because they are not in the public eye. They're not the kind of... the. I, I always use it, but in a very loose phrase, the Hollywoods mm. of our struggle. You know, the ones who ca- have the glamour, who catch the headlines, everyone wants to meet and hear. And the farm labourers are a case in point. I remember when we f- tracked them down and found them and went to interview them. They said, we've been waiting for 48 years for someone to come and t- hear our story. And, it was, and even though there were only two remaining... It was a very cathartic, and they didn't know. They referred, interestingly, they referred to people like Nelson, Walter, and Govan as men with newspapers because they had never experienced or seen black men reading newspapers. So they referred to them as men with papers, and they were completely unaware, other than Thomas Mashafani, who was the farm foreman, who was a member of the Communist Party. He was the only one who knew the true identities of those on the farm. The others were very unaware. They were suspicious. They didn't understand, you know, they, uh, in terms of what was going on. They thought it was highly unusual. But one of the reasons they were brought down was because they could be trusted and they wouldn't kind of in- inquire and ask what was going on. So the farm workers that were working here at the time was, were selected. It wasn't just a random group of farm labourers. They were specifically chosen. Of course, I mean, as I drove here and you drive through the streets, every property is, I mean, Lily's Leaf is now surrounded by suburbia. And we forget that it wasn't surrounded by suburbia back then. No, it wasn't. It was actually a 28-acre farm in the peri-urban area of Ravonia. And they were small homesteads. Because at the turn of the 19th century, it was one farm which stretched from Morningside up to Bryanston. And then, obviously, it got subdivided into smaller homesteads. I mean, if you want, the farm before it became known as Lily's Leap was called Kingfisher. And, you know, again, there's an interesting story because we interviewed someone who said his parents built this. We had been led to believe that this house was built in the 30s and has a thatch roof. That's why there was that lightning conductor. Yes. The other one on the other side. Because when they raided the farm on the 11th of July, 1963, the police were convinced that lightning conductor was the transmitter for Radio Freedom. Oh, That's where the myth about Radio Freedom yes. being broadcast from here has come from. But he said, no, they built the house in 48. 
So we got this, and he sent us pictures of the house. So we got these interesting dichotomies. We got the one on the one hand saying it was built in the 30s and it was thatched, hence the um, lightning conductor. He said no, they built it in 48, 49, it wasn't thatched. So we don't know, you know, what the actual story is. But that's also what makes history so fascinating, so interesting. Why one wants to know more. And so alive, exactly. So, Nicholas, here we are standing right outside the farmhouse, as it was, and where so much drama happened. Everything is overgrown. You can see that. I don't know what's happened to the exhibits inside, but with money, everything can be reclaimed. The roof looks okay. It is a scene of desolation, and I know I know the staff haven't been paid. I, I know it's, it's deeply distressing. But when you stand here and you look at this little piece of history that you have largely contributed to, what are your personal feelings? My feelings are one of deep pain as I look out because I'm seeing before my eyes a significant site of memory, a significant site that played a critical and important role in our struggle. Effectively, slowly but gradually being run down because of neglect. Neglect, not purposeful neglect, but neglect dated by circumstances and the lack of support and willingness of primarily a government to support independent institutions in the work that they have been doing to preserve the importance of historical sites. And I think it's not just Lily's Leaf that's suffering. I mm. think we need to remember you have a situation in Darling where Peter Dercasis Theatre mm. is closing. You have the Athel Fugard Theatre at District 6. Summerly closed. Yes, which is a shame. You have, and I read a wonderful article about the role theatre plays, mm. particularly the role that theatre played during the apartheid era mm. and how it, through subliminal messaging, overt as well as covert messaging, attacked the apartheid system and it highlighted the important role that theatre plays as part of our civil society and that's being neglected so I do think it's also important that yes while we're focusing here on Lily's Leaf we mustn't lose sight of the fact that it is the call it in in its totality the cultural section mm. which is suffering and is continued to suffer under the impact of covert 19 and it's highlighted and brought into stark focus the fact that we have very little regard for the arts the culture and heritage of our society and what important role it can play but coming back to lily C, I, i you know as i said i am deeply distressed because it is literally on its way to its knees. You asked about the exhibits. The exhibits have been damaged because of the load shedding. Um, so some of the exhibits are still working, some of them are not working. And sooner or later, anything that is not used on a regular basis, sure. which is technically um, orientated IT, will begin to itself become mm. damaged. And I think that's the point, that that's when we start to see the structural problems beginning to take root. At the moment, it's mainly superficial. But the longer we remain closed, the longer we neglect the site, the more difficult it will become to repair and address the structural damages that will begin to emerge. Well, Nicholas, thank you very much for showing me around. I mean, I feel I know this place well because I've come here so often. Remember, with um, in the all beautiful auditorium, 
with um, President Trilema Matlanti. Um, we had a fantastic thing there, and I'm sure he's distressed as well. And uh, and maybe, maybe, who knows, something is positive is brewing. But at the moment, it's a scene of great neglect, and it's very sad. Saturdays with Jenny, every Saturday from 9 to 11 a.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.